stepping stone and you don't pay any attention to where you came from and you don't pay any attention to where you're going. So when you're looking at these things in the book of Romans, I want you to look over at chapter 3 because we just see this verse right here, verse 13, where it talks about the doers of the law being justified. Now, over in verse uh, in chapter 3, let's look at what the Bible says, starting in Romans chapter 3, verse number 20. Romans chapter 3, verse number 20, where the Bible says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So word for word, when we get to verse 28, it spells it out. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So now we have an issue. Does the Bible contradict itself? In Romans chapter 2 because clearly Romans chapter 3 is saying that we're justified by faith not by the deeds of the law now here's the thing before I get into this I want you to go back to Matthew chapter 19 Matthew chapter 19 because here's another passage that sometimes will get twisted to make it seem like Jesus was not teaching a faithful and salvation Matthew chapter 19 We're going to start reading in Matthew chapter 19 when you get there in verse number 16, where the Bible says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, this guy right here was just told by Jesus to keep the commandments in order to have eternal life. If you're a hyper-dispensationalist, things that are different are not the same, and Jesus just preached a different gospel than Paul did. So Jesus and Paul apparently preached different gospels, but Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles, so we listen to the apostle Paul, and we get through him. So, But that's obviously not what's going on here, but we'll keep on reading down here. He says, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, which Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, Thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Now, right here, obviously Jesus does not believe, and Jesus is not teaching, that we have to keep the law in order to be saved. 
that we need to sell all that we own and give to the poor in order to be saved. You have to look closely at this and understand what he's actually teaching. Now, first look at verse number 16 and look at a key point that Jesus establishes where he comes up to him and says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So this guy is coming to Jesus saying, hey, what good thing do I need to do in order to have eternal life? And what's the first thing that Jesus said to him? He says, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. So what's the first thing that he tries to tell him? He's trying to get the point across to him that, hey, there's none good but one, and that is God. Meaning that you're not good enough to do something good to get into heaven. But then he goes on to kind of in a mocking way, I'm guessing, say to him, but if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. So if you really can keep the commandments, and if you really are good enough, then go ahead and do it. You know, technically, I guess you could say that there's two ways into heaven. You can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have your sins forgiven, or you can work your way to heaven and be completely perfect. And you know what? There's a lot of people that will be judged by their works one day, but you'll read in the book of Revelation that every single person judged by their works will be immediately cast into the lake of fire. So there is only one way to honestly get into heaven, and that's by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So but look into what he says where he talks about, in verse number 18, he starts going into specific commandments with him. Because the guy is saying, well, which commandments do I need to keep? Because he knows he can't keep the whole law. But he's just looking for Jesus to say, well, these commandments are more important than the others. And if you mess up in one area, it's not that big of a deal if you mess up in another area. So he goes on and he says to him, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And this guy in his head is thinking, I've done all those. That's easy. That's fine. I know how to do that. And he says, the young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Now, right here, the guy in Jesus, whoever he's speaking to at this moment of time, Jesus has come to the conclusion that he and that man have absolutely no common ground at all. You know, if we're out soul winning and we're trying to give the gospel to people, and they say that they don't believe that the Bible is legitimate and that they can't take anything out of the Bible for fact, and really they're not going to get saved. They're not going to believe the Bible. They're not going to understand anything. They won't take it seriously. So the one thing that's going to give them life, they won't take it seriously. And just a fact is that they're not going to get saved. Now the other thing is, is if you're talking to somebody and they don't realize that they need to be saved, they can't be saved. You know, we can't just go and say that it's okay for somebody to call on the name of the Lord if they don't admit that they're a sinner. You know, we can't go all the way through the gospel with somebody and say, hey, all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And they might believe that and they might say, oh, that's fine. But if they can't admit that they're a sinner, that they need to be saved, then they're not honestly going to get saved. That's It just is impossible. So Jesus basically just decides... Here, and they, they end the conversation in verse 22, because the, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great positions. So he wasn't really coming to Jesus seriously, because even if he did take eternity seriously, and even, <coughs> excuse me, even if he did take what Jesus was saying seriously and listen to what he was saying, you know, you put 
uh, minuscule time that we have on earth here, and you think about your possessions, and you think about an eternity in heaven, and Jesus Christ just told you, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, you would probably do it if you were taking it seriously. So this guy wasn't taking Jesus seriously from the start. And that's, that's what's going on back in Romans chapter 2. If you'll turn back to Romans chapter 2. Now, like I was saying, the book of Romans paints a picture all the way through, and it's telling you these points, and it's building each chapter upon one another. You know, we start out in Romans chapter 1, <coughs> excuse me, and you hear about these reprobates, and you hear about how, you know, they're filthy, they're abominable, they're, they're an abomination to God, they're wicked. Here's the thing. That used to be a rallying point for people. You know, even 50 years ago, when you started talking about how homos were disgusting, everybody just agreed with you. It's not until very recent times that that has changed. So when Paul starts out in Romans chapter 1, and he's talking about the scum of the earth and the sodomites, and he's talking about how abominable they are, he's talking about how they're so full of unrighteousness, you know, he is just trying to get everybody rallied together like, yeah, they are filthy, they are abominable, they are worthy of death, according to verse number 32. But then when you get into Romans chapter 2, he starts basically saying, now look, I know the sodomites are bad. And I know they're wicked, and I know they're full of unrighteousness, and I know they're reprobate concerning the faith, but you're still a sinner. You know, you might not be rejected of God, but if you died right now, you would not go to heaven because you are not a righteous person. You can't keep the law. And every time you see an instance of the law being given in the Bible in the sense of keep the commandments and go to heaven, it's supposed to get you in your head knowing that you can't do that. Every time you see Jesus giving somebody example, telling them something other than just straight up believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, that person is supposed to recognize that they can't keep the commandments, that they can't be perfect, that they can't keep the law. If they don't understand that, they don't have any common ground, and the conversation ends there. There's no one that ever walks away believing that salvation is by works that ends up in heaven. It, it's never happened. I don't care what dispensation you're in. I don't care if you're in the Old Testament. I don't care if you're in the future, in the tribulation, when apparently eternal security doesn't exist. You know, it's always been my faith alone. And anybody that does not believe in a faith alone salvation will, unfortunately, go to hell someday. So this is clearly talking about a faith alone salvation and that's what Romans is talking about when you get over to chapter 3, where you finally get the famous verse that we all start our gospel presentations out with, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the point that he's leading up to from chapter 1 to talk about the worst scum of the earth, and everybody knows they're a sinner, and everybody can acknowledge that they're sinners. And then we get into chapter 2 to basically point out the fact, now you're probably not as wicked as they are, but you are still wicked. You know, James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So you might not be capable of offending every single portion of the law, but if you offended in one point, because everybody has. And then if they didn't get it yet from the examples that were in Romans chapter 2, you cannot miss it in Romans chapter 3, in verse 10, where it says, There is none righteous, no, not one. 
And then in verse 23 where it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, Romans chapter 3 drills that point all the way home. And you'll see people still all throughout the Bible trying to find a way that the Bible teaches a works-based salvation. They try to intertwine works and faith together and try to make something else out of it. But, folks, every single page, you know, depending on how big your letters are in your Bible, talks about faith alone salvation. Every single page of the New Testament. And all throughout the Old Testament, you can see pictures of Christ, and you can see all the way back in the book of Genesis in the very beginning. The people called on the name of the Lord for salvation. It's always been by faith alone and always will be by faith alone. So over to Romans chapter 8. We'll get on to our next false doctrine. Romans chapter 8 is the absolute favorite go-to passage of Calvinists. Calvinists love Romans chapter 8. You know, if anybody knows about when Pastor Jason Robinson did his, what was supposed to be a discussion, turned into debate, with James White, um, I think that was about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer. James White just wanted to stick to Romans chapter eight the whole entire time, and anytime Pastor Jason Robinson would cross-reference, which is what you're supposed to do, by the way, you know Second Timothy two fifteen. I know dispensationalists try to corrupt this verse, but the Bible says, "Study to show thyself approved unto God." A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Not pulling out your dispensational charts, not pulling out Clarence Larkin's book, but just being able to compare Scripture with Scripture and see what the Bible's talking about and understand passages in context. You know, this whole message is talking about different Scriptures that people take out of context and twist the Bible and try to make it say something that it doesn't. And it's a failure to recognize the context of situations. Now, Calvinism is a huge doctrine that people try to fight. It's a really wicked doctrine. It makes God out to be somebody that just creates people for no other purpose but to burn in hell someday. It teaches that Jesus Christ did not die for everybody, that he didn't taste the death for every man, but he only tasted death for some, and that only some people are elect, and they'll be saved whether they want to be saved or not. And then there's other people who will not be saved whether they want to be saved or not. And it's all just predestinated and predecided. So that we don't have to go soul winning because it doesn't matter because whether they get saved or not is not up to us because God already decided it in eternity sometime. So let's start reading in Romans chapter 8, their favorite passage of the Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, where the Bible says, For whom he did foreknow... He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, when he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things 
We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, unless you are not elect and chosen of God from the beginning to be saved, which is what the Calvinists believe and try to teach out of this passage, starting back in verse 29, when they see the word predestinate, and then they see the word foreknowledge, and they see them being called, and them being justified. And you know, this is a point that I was going to make a little bit later, but I'm just going to make this point now. You know, one thing, and I want to give you an example of this, in Acts chapter 2, and really the whole book of Acts, you would never, if, you, if you'd never heard of any kind of religion before, and you just read Acts chapter 2, you would never in a million years picture those people flopping around like fish on the ground and babbling their tongues in an ununderstandable language. You would never get that from that passage. You know, another example, and really that's all throughout the book of Acts. Anytime a Pentecostal sees the word tongues in the book of Acts, they go crazy and lose their minds and think that it's talking about running around, not decently in order like the Bible talks about, and babbling with tongues and everything. That every time a Pentecostal sees the word tongues, that's what they do. Okay, how about this one? How about Revelation chapter 4, verse 1? Let's just go ahead and go there really quick. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. So you get there just one verse. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. You would never get that to be the pre-trib rapture. You would never get that if you had not heard somebody teach it to you that way. You would never get that. That makes no sense. Just because the word trumpet is there does not mean that it's the rapture that happened. And just because it happens in chapter 4, verse 1, before you get into the tribulation, so conveniently it fits there, does not mean that's where it takes place. You would never get that. Calvinism, if you go back to Romans chapter 8, Calvinism works the same exact way, and, and so does dispensationalism. Before I get to Calvinism, anytime they see the word dispensation in the Bible, it's just more proof to them and more to them that's able to back up their false doctrine of dispensationalism to rightly divide the word of truth, and they'll start every message off in 2 Timothy 2.15 to just preach whatever crazy foolish doctrine that they are because they just know how to rightly divide better than you do. But what happens is, is you just hear these phrases over and over and over again. You just hear speaking with tongues, speaking with tongues, speaking with tongues. And your mind associates that with these oneness Pentecostals that run around crazy and sweep through the auditoriums and have women screaming. And, you know, it's, choreog it's, it's choreography. It's the same thing every time. It never changes. It always sets up the same way. And even some of these camp-meeting Baptists, they don't speak in tongues, but they're right on the edge with them when it comes to all this just nonsense that goes on during these church services. But your mind just psychologically associates these things with words that you see. Your mind is attached speaking with tongues to Pentecostals running around and going crazy. In the same way that your mind 
when you see the word predestinate and you see the words foreknowledge, associates it with Calvinism. But when you're reading Romans chapter 8 and you've never heard of Calvinism before, if, if you had a pure mind that had never been tainted with an ounce of Calvinism, there is no way reading Romans chapter 8 you would get the idea that Jesus did not die for everybody, that he only died for some people. You would never get that. You would never get five-point Calvinism from Romans chapter 8. It's impossible. That would not happen. And I'll prove it to you. Go back to Romans chapter 5. It's all about taking things in context. I can do all things with a verse taken out of context. Anything. Anything you want to teach out of the Bible. Any false doctrine you want to teach out of the Bible. You can find a verse that has whatever word you're wanting to talk about in it. And you can go off on a tangent no matter what the context of that verse is. But let's look at things in context tonight. So go back to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to look at a lot of scripture before, in between where we left off, around Romans chapter 3 and 4. We're going to look at a lot of different scripture up until that point and see the timeline that's being built here. So we left off under the fact that salvation is by faith and it's not by works. So now we're getting into the explanation of why salvation is by faith and it's not by works. So Romans chapter 5, start reading in verse number 8 with me, where the Bible says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so... But we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification." For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the, the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Who did the free gift come unto? All men. It came unto all men. Now the ball is in your court. You know, in terms of the whole entire world, the work of Jesus Christ is finished. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again three days later. He's done. He is finished with his end of the deal. The ball is in our court now. And the ball is in our court as Christians to tell the people in this world that the ball is in their court. It's our job to go out and tell people. You know, I've heard Calvinists use the stupid explanation well, what about the people in these dense forests and areas where nobody will ever get to? 
Those people are obviously predestined to hell. Well, no, they're not predestined to hell. It's our fault if those people don't get reached. You know, and it's not impractical for one generation to reach the entire world. It's been done before. You know, I believe it's been done more times than just the first generation of Christians like the Bible tells us. I really don't think that every generation of Christians has just been as sorry and lame as the group of Christians that we have in our world right now that does nothing, that has no soul-winning times in their churches. And, folks, we're just talking about America right now. There are countries and there are churches that don't even – there are countries that don't even have a good church to go to in some places in Europe. They're so just corrupted by false doctrine, so corrupted – I mean, even the Holy Land of Israel does not have a good church to go to. It's corrupted by Roman Catholicism and the Orthodox Church, full of idolatry, nothing there. There's so many, the whole continent of Asia, you know, I don't know of many routes where there's people that can get in there. You know what? It's our job to figure out a way how, because we should care about those people enough to want to figure out a way that we can get them into heaven. And thank God for the tool of the Internet that we have today. That there are people that can get saved in Asia just by finding a YouTube video online explaining the Bible way to heaven. You know, and I thank God for different videos like that that have gotten hundreds of thousands of views that have doubtless seen people get saved from those. And I'm thankful for those. But look, just because somebody lives in an area that there's not a church there right now, that there's not a saved person there that might be in the spot right then, that doesn't mean that that person is just predestined to die and go to hell someday. We can do something in our lives to get that person the gospel and give them the opportunity. And they don't have to reject God, and they don't have to deny the existence of God, because if you learn all the way back in Romans chapter 1 and get the full picture, they are not – they can clearly see the things of God just through his creation. They can clearly see all these different things. So – we got to move on, though. Romans chapter 6, you know, we just established the point that the free gift came unto all men. Well, how did the free gift come unto all men? Down in verse 22, <coughs> excuse me, where the Bible says, But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Where's the everlasting life come? Verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So after that, we don't have time to read through the passage I was going to in Romans chapter 7. But basically, we've got a really important doctrine here that gets missed by a lot of Baptist churches today. That after you get saved, that's not the end of it. There's actually still a war that goes on between your flesh and your spirit every day. And there's a lot of people that think that they just need to come down to the altar and get saved again. Because they still struggle with sin. It's because they're still made of the same flesh they were when they walked up to the altar the first time. And unfortunately, so many churches are just doing nothing but preaching salvation messages anymore that these people have no idea that a chapter like Romans chapter 7 even exists where the Bible starts in verse number 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. The Apostle Paul, you know, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. That sounds like so many people today. But look, his resolution is not, I must not have really gotten saved the first time. I must not have really prayed hard enough the first time. 
I must not have repented of enough sins the first time. No, look, he just acknowledges the fact that there's a battle going on between his flesh and between his spirit every day. And he needs to walk in the spirit to give himself an opportunity to fight against his flesh. And we as Christians should walk in the spirit. We should read the word of God. We should listen to preaching. We should listen to wholesome Christian hymns and music to focus on things of the spirit and not appeal to the flesh with all the different things in this world. That's how you can get victory over your sin. Victory over sin is eternally done through Jesus Christ, but we can fight against sin in our lifetimes ourselves by dwelling on things that are spiritual and dwelling on the word of God and dwelling on his word. Now back to chapter 8. So again, like I was saying, people see the word predestination. People see the word foreknowledge. And they just think Calvinism because your mind has been corrupted with Calvinism. But look, I don't think it's a really complicated thing to just get the idea that God just knew who was going to be saved. It's not his fault that he's all-knowing. It's not his fault that he knows everything. And, you know, we're really running short on time. I still have another point that I wanted to get to after this, which I am going to cover. But look, predestination, I think, is a really simple concept. I think it's just the fact that Jesus Christ, you know, God, knows when we are created whether we're going to be saved or not. Every single time a child is born into this world, God knows whether at some point in that child's life they're going to get saved or not. That doesn't mean that they don't have the opportunity to get saved. You know, Calvinism, you ought to do a lot of mind spinning to get yourself to the point of believing limited atonement. And limited atonement is the stupidest, most garbage doc, one of the most garbage doctrines out there. To think that this whole Bible, that God so loved the world, and that he loved the world just a little bit, not enough to have Christ die for everybody. You know, and, and there's so many arguments of limited atonement. This isn't a sermon specifically dedicated to Calvinism, but I can't get into it. But the point that I want you to understand. This Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and on, is not talking about us, you know, just this mind-boggling stuff of God deciding from the beginning of eternity whether or not we would be saved or not, and people just created to do nothing but die and go to hell someday. That is a foolish, garbage doctrine, and it's not what the Bible teaches. And with that, go over to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, going off of Calvinism... I want to talk about another uh, bit of Calvinism. A lot of people, uh, they wouldn't consider this Calvinism, but I like to call it Calvinism because it's exactly what it is. That's Calvinistic Zionism. Calvinistic Zionism. Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 26. This is often the only verse read, and really only a little bit of this verse read. Whenever you're in a real, you know, Rucklinite-leaning church today, where it says, and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness for Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Now, people believe, and I've heard this preached multiple times, just visiting churches, being in my own church, heard people take Romans chapter 11 and not pay attention to verses 1 through 25, just read verse 26 to teach that the Jews 
a quote directly from Bill Grady, will be saved whether they want to be or not. That is word-for-word Calvinism. That there are people that will be created, that they will be saved whether they want to be or not, and there are people that are created that whether they want to be or not will die and go to hell. But in this case, we're talking about fundamental Baptists, and we're talking about the Jews that are in the physical nation of Israel today. And if there's anything you can do to hate Jews more than anything, it's not by not supporting Israel today. It's by telling them that no matter what they do, they'll be saved. That's the worst possible thing you could ever tell somebody. That When in reality, they're on a road to hell. And these people, you know, no matter how many times they want to hang the Israeli flag up, no matter how often we're wanting American people to go over and fight all of Israel's battles for them, they hate them. They are putting them in a position where they're setting their souls up to die and go to hell someday for eternity. You know, I love Jews. I want Jews to get saved. I want Jews to get saved just as much as I want every other person to get saved. But they have to be saved the same exact way. There's not another route for them. There's not just any Romans 11.26 that's going to come in and just sweep them up off their feet, whether they want to be or not, and take them into heaven. That is garbage, and that is false doctrine. Now, go back up a couple more verses to Romans chapter 11. We're going to start in verse number 18. Where it says, Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Now, this is a pretty clear picture Again, this is an instance of just hearing false doctrine over and over and over and over again. When you hear the verse, and so all Israel should be saved, you think of Bill Grady or you think of any other Zionist that talks about how the Jews today are just going to be saved no matter what. Well, they missed a really important clue that's given back in Romans chapter 2. This time we're going to go back like nine chapters, but flip back to Romans chapter 2 and look at the end of the chapter. They must have missed these two verses before they get back to Romans chapter 11, it's a case, again, of taking things out of context and not paying attention to the picture that's painted all the way through the book of Romans. Romans chapter 2, verse 28, where the Bible says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So here we've got two different groups of people. We've got people that actually are Jews. We have people that are not Jews. Two different types. What's the difference? These Jews over here that are not real Jews are Jews outwardly, that look like Jews outwardly. They have the circumcision. They've got the heritage. They've got everything. But over here's a person that's a Jew inwardly, that has the circumcision of the heart, that has the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a big difference between them. These are Jews, which say they are not. Revelation chapter 3, 9 calls them the synagogue of Satan, undoubtedly. And then you've got these Jews over here, which are us. We are Jews. And unfortunately, we don't call ourselves Jews because there's so much corruption that's come behind that name. 
And, you know, we can't call ourselves Jews because then we'll look like we're, you know, a Hebrew roots church or something. But it's just, again, Bible words and people corrupt Bible words because they want to implant false doctrine in you. And Zionism at its roots is a really wicked doctrine that isn't addressed enough in Baptist churches. And in fact, it's really bringing in the coming Antichrist is it's the root of it. So go back to Romans chapter 11 and we'll look at the rest of this and see what it's really talking about. In Romans chapter 11, I'll look in verse 22. It says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, and if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Now here we're talking about pretty clearly how were they grafted back in? What is it that needs to be done? What do they need to do? Well, very simply, they just need to abide not still in unbelief. How is a Jew saved? The same way that an atheist is saved. You just don't abide in unbelief anymore. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no difference between the two of those. People are constantly trying to make these different paths of salvation, constantly trying to switch scripture, and it's just a matter of not taking things in context. Think about this. This is literally a couple of verses right before Romans 11:26. Right before. And it's so clear in verse 23 where it says, And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So it's not right to say that we just hate the nation of Israel and we hate the Jews and we hate everything about them. No, look, they're able to be saved just like anybody else. Don't write all of them off as reprobates. They can be saved if they just believe on Christ. We should be trying to preach them the gospel, not ignoring five verses before the dispensationalist's favorite verse in the Bible in Romans 11:26. That's a wicked thing to do. And say, well, what does all Israel shall be saved mean then? Well, look in verse 24, and we'll read all the way down. It says, For if thou wert cut off of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness for Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. You say, obviously this is talking about something different. Obviously we're talking about a different part, the fullness of the Gentiles. We're talking about dispensationalism now. We're getting into a completely different ballgame. No, look, it's the same chapter. It's the same sequence going on down here. We've got in verse 23 saying, how do the Jews get saved? They just abide not in unbelief anymore. The same way that anybody else gets saved. And what is the key fact that we established all the way back in Romans chapter 2? That the Jews that are in the physical nation of Israel today are not the real Jews. They're the synagogue of Satan. Whereas we are the real Jews that because we have the circumcision of the heart. There's a big difference there. We have something that they do not. Now because of that, we are Israel. All Israel shall be saved. And you know, here's my question to all the dispensationalists that teach that the physical nation of Israel is just going to be magically saved somehow. Well, who is the deliverer that comes out of Zion that's going to save them? 
who is not deliverer? Because it's the same Lord Jesus Christ that can save us and can save any man if all they do is believe in their heart that God hath raised him from the dead. So it's completely false doctrine. It's complete stupidity to say that it's just this different route for Jews. And, you know, all throughout the book of Romans, people try to turn false doctrine all over the place. They try to turn false doctrine on our head. And, you know, I just wanted to focus on that because that's one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I get really irritated when I hear people constantly over and over again twisting scripture. I wish I could have taken a lot more time than I have, but we're already out to go through Romans chapter 7, to go through all these other different passages that people try to corrupt all throughout the Bible. The important thing to remember is that the word of God is pure, that there's not one contradiction in any spot in the Bible. And it's our job to rightly divide the word of truth and compare scripture with scripture so we don't turn out like a dispensationalist that teaches that Jesus Christ taught a workspace salvation and that the Jews someday will just get swept off their feet and make really even more than three gospels. So with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we come to you today and we're thankful for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thankful for you loving us and caring for us, Lord, and appreciate the time that you've given us together as believers. Lord, I pray that you just be with the missions conference, the pastors at tonight, uh, that you just be with them there and that uh, we could all just look to that, Lord, and uh, we can see what we can do within the next decade to try to reach the entire world, Lord. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.